Thank you, Brother Davies. Everybody said praise the Lord. Aren't you happy to be alive today? Amen. To be alive and in the kingdom of God. Such a tremendous joy that uh, we enjoy here. And I'm excited about the privilege of being here one more time in McMinnville and uh, to be with friends and hope there's no foes. But anyhow, if you're here, I'm glad to be with you. Amen. To hear what we've been hearing around here, the preaching, well, nothing could be better. And uh, amen. I thought when I knew the lineup was going to be Brother McMullen and Brother Morton, I thought, isn't this great? The next two months of time, I have both of them men coming to preach in Burbank. Hallelujah. Amen. And what a tremendous, tremendous ministry. God has given to these men of God, and I am honored uh, just to share together this time, a very, very special time together for this church. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Be seated for just a moment before I preach, please. Amen. I thought as Brother Morton was uh, preaching, and I don't have anything to add to his message But I thought as he was preaching so capably unto us, I first of all thought about these young people that I see here on the front row. And I thought, you know, it was just this week that I sat in my office with an 18-year-old boy in the church that I pastor, where I had to call him in and talk to him about breaking off a relationship and association there and You often see the ugly side of the colors when you go to try to dabble with people's romances. Just something about that, that, boy, it really tests their spirits, what's going on inside of them. But uh, that young man looked at me and he said, Pastor White, he said, uh, let me tell you one thing I have learned through observation. He said, I have learned that every member of the youth group of this church that has ever, ever got mad at you went downhill from there. He said, I want you to know something. He said, I'm going to receive what you had to give to me today. And I thought if every young person would learn before they get out of their teenage years that little lesson. (laughs) Amen. That you're dead meat. From then on, the moment that you buck up against your pastor. Amen. If you would learn that lesson, amen, we'll see you one day in glory. We'll see you around the streets of gold. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 And uh, Brother Morton has such a unique way of doing and saying and being what he is. I happen to pastor two young ladies that are from his church. Amen. Two different. They're married. Amen. And they're a part of our church there in Burbank. And they are a blessing. Amen. But uh, one of the young ladies, as Brother Morton was preaching, I began to get terrified because of a statement that one of those young ladies made not too long ago to my wife. And uh, it had been after a time that uh, 
I had to call her into the office and uh, deal with her about a situation that had been going on. Now, she mentioned to my wife, she said, you know, Sister White, she said, I would much rather have one of Brother Morton's rebukings than to get it from your husband. She really said that, Elder. She really did. You know, some folks, when their pastor publicly from the pulpit says things that rebuke them or rebuke their children, some folks get all mad and get offended and say, well, he shouldn't have done it publicly. Sometimes you ought to be glad if you've got a preacher that does it publicly. Because them ones that can get you in the office may even be worse. They may even be tougher than what you imagine. Amen. Drilling a hole into you so deep, you, you wish to God they'd back up just a little bit. So whatever kind of a pastor you got, you need to stop complaining about it. You need to thank God that God gave me a pastor. Oh, hallelujah. Boy, I enjoyed that message. Amen. So very, very, very much. I want to make one more comment. Amen. Because I, I certainly feel it's very important, the age and the time that we are living in. A young lady, she's a part of our church, just within the last six or seven days, out to dinner with some others in the church, enjoying a good time together. And she began to run off the feelings that had been hidden beneath the surface inside of her of the nice house that the pastor has. She began to voice to others in the congregation a comparison. Her mom and dad, not a part of our church, but somewhere else about what a meek and a humble man her mom and dad's pastor was. And he lived down in the project somewhere in a humble little dwelling of a house that was there. And what a stark comparison it was for her, the nice house that Pastor White lives in. And, of course, there were those there in the church that took care of her. Amen. Explained to her in no uncertain terms that how wrong she was to be feeling that way. But I thought, you know, I would like to take her over to a backslider that just recently came back to our church. And I would like to sit down on the pew and say, Ken, would you please tell her your story? Would you please tell her your story? Because 11 years ago, when I was building the house that I live in, it's far from being a mansion, but it's a nice, comfortable home. 11 years ago, when I was building it, Ken had just got involved in the contracting business. And Ken was making a lot of money. And Ken was successful in his own rights with what he had learned and the breaks that had come unto him. And Ken couldn't take it that the pastor had a nicer house than what he did. And Ken 
backslid. And Ken, 11 years later, had just come back to God and sat in my office sobbing and crying. Married a woman in rebellion against my advice and counsel. Lost everything had told me of many weeks of sleeping in his car. Many weeks of terrible, terrible abject poverty. And Ken came back repentant and crying and saying, I was so wrong. I let something get in my heart toward you, Pastor. And the blessings of the Lord that you've never sought after. But they did like the Scripture said. They just overtook you. You labored faithfully for God and blessings came to your life. And I was so jealous of those blessings. And I let that get inside of my heart and my spirit. Now I've lost it all. But I'm coming back to Jesus. And I'm ready to start all over again. Hallelujah. I'm telling you the devil is a sly old fox. And if he can't get you saying that God tripped up one way, he'll find another way to trip you up. But it's in an anniversary service like this, hearing the preaching like we've heard, that you can cleanse your heart of all of that. You can get your spirit right. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can get on top of the world. Serve and live for God with a pure and a right heart. Stand with me once again. Let's go to God's Word. I invite you to turn with me to Genesis, the 37th chapter. And I am going to endeavor to preach to you what I feel the Lord laid upon my heart for this service today. In the 37th chapter of the book of Genesis, I want to read to you there, and we're going to cover a very familiar story in your Bible. And I'm hoping that God will shed a little light in your path and mine today. Genesis chapter 37. Let's begin at verse number 14 of that chapter. Genesis 37 and 14. And he said unto him, Go, I pray thee, and see whether it be well with thy brethren, well with thy flocks. Bring me again word. So he sent him out. He sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Amen. Skip on down to verse 19. Don't need to read all of that. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him. Cast him into some pit. And we will say that some evil beast hath devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. Reuben heard it. He delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. They took him, cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. 
there was no water in it. They sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. Now, I want to talk to you about dreams here today. Obviously, we wouldn't be here on this 25th anniversary celebration if it were not for a man of God that had a dream, if it were not for precious saints of God that had dreams of what God could do with you, what God could do through you, what the power of the Almighty God could accomplish in your life. I'm not going to try to slip up to you on the backside. I'm simply going to tell you from the outset of my title that what I'm going to preach to you about tonight is something you, or this afternoon, you might not expect. I want to preach about the forgiveness factor in all of our dreams. You say, I, I never thought that would be connected with Joseph. A lot of other things that he had to do. Sure he did. But bear with me here this afternoon. And let's look at his life just a little bit closer. And ask God to speak to us. Would you pray together? God, I love and worship and glorify you, God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost that is here. Thank you for liberty and anointing, God. Tremendous messages that our hearts have received, Lord. I'm praying, God, in Jesus' name, strength and an unction from the Almighty God. Come and speak to our hearts, God. I trust you. I thank you. I praise you. I worship you for it, God. In the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you and you may be seated. When we talk about dreams, I am sure that all of you are aware that a dream is a many-faceted thing. In order for a dream to come to reality, there are a tremendous amount of things that must go into it. If I ask for your help here today, what is some of the major factors involved in the fulfillment of a dream? No doubt someone would say faith. I would have to amen that. Another would say patience, and yet another would say perseverance. And you are right on target, because all of those things must play in to it if there's going to be dreams fulfilled for the glory of God. Somebody said, well, certainly hard work must go into it also. Yeah, we've all met them dreamers that didn't want to lift a hand, lift a finger to do anything for God, and they die with their dreams. Nothing ever comes to pass and is ever accomplished. I had it taught to me when I was a young man by a dad that knew what hard work was about. And he said, son, never pray, Lord, move this mountain unless you've got a shovel in your hand and your work boots on. 
Hallelujah. Don't you dare believe that, that God's going to do something and leave you out of the equation. The Almighty God's going to put your blood, sweat, and tears uh, and mingle it all in together. And shovel by shovel, uh, you're going to reach for the goals and the dreams and the aspirations that are there. Joseph was a dreamer. We all know him as that, according to the Scripture. The two dreams that the Bible tells us about that were the prominent God-given dreams specifically unto him were the two dreams. The first one that out in the field there would be sheaves that would be gathered up during the time of the harvest. But yet... One of those sheaves, which was his, would stand erect, and there would be eleven other sheaves in the field that would be bowing down unto him. The second dream that God gave to Joseph was the one, a similar dream to that, but instead of the grain of the field there, this was the planetary bodies that were up above us. And he said, in that dream there was a sun, and there was a moon, and there were eleven stars uh, that were to bow down unto him. And the dreams that God gave him seemed like something that he would quickly acquire and obtain too. But it was a long process that God took Joseph through. Uh, he had some brethren, and the brethren despised him. The Bible tells us uh, of all of the things that they did to this young dreamer. The Scripture said they hated him. They envied him. They conspired against him. They stripped him. They cast him into a pit. They sold him. And they lied upon him. And there was Joseph trying to reconcile in his mind that the dream that God gave me involved all of my family, involved all of them sharing in the blessing and the joy that should come. But how could it happen and lead to this until finally in the text that we read together, his brethren are sitting down eating bread. Most criminals run from the scene of the crime. But they felt so justified in what they were doing to their brother that they're sitting down, eating bread, small talk, over lunch while their younger brother was in a pit crying out and begging for mercy and asking them, Amen, please let me out of here and allow me to join again with the family. But oh, my friend, let me be quick to point out to you, uh, in God's kingdom, uh, life always goes full circle. Uh, the very next time we read about uh, that family and those brethren eating bread together, the tables were totally turned. Uh, for the Bible said it was in Joseph's house. Uh, for there they heard uh, that they should eat bread. The Almighty God turned it all around. The harvest sometimes has a time delay. 
of even a full generation. But be patient. God is on the throne. The Almighty God knows exactly what He's doing. Joseph had some tremendous challenges that faced him. Slavery was one of them. Brother, it was pretty hard to overcome those years of being a slave. He had moral challenges that came against him. Old Potiphar's wife lying about it. I, I don't know about any of you, but thank God, my age of the ministry, I have yet to have a false moral accusation charged against me. But if I was innocent, and somebody started that junk, it would be very, very hard to clean that out of my spirit. It would be an unbelievable challenge to realize, why would somebody do that? Why would somebody for no reason at all put a moral cloud over my life? He had the challenge of forgiving her after being lied on. He had the challenge of a butler that the Bible tells us about who promised him that when he got out of here, he was going to remember Joseph. And he was going to return the favor and help get him out of the prison house that's there. He had the challenge of financial blessings that came his way because pretty soon God elevated him and he was second only to Pharaoh in all of the realm. Now, I don't know you ever thought about it, but to wake up tomorrow morning second only to Bill Gates in wealth would be a bigger challenge for you and I than Potiphar's wife. Would be a bigger challenge than anything else that you probably faced. I've watched some people that can do oh so well in the hard times. But when the good times come, Man, when it's minimum wage, them tithes that Brother Morton was talking about are so easy to pay. But when all of a sudden, it's four digits a week that you're getting paid now. It suddenly looks bigger than it did back when it was minimum wage. The percentage stays the same, but the challenge of the financial blessings is a difficulty. But I'm not here to deal with any of that at all today in my message. I'm going to tell you the most important factor that the Almighty God was carefully monitoring in the life of Joseph was the forgiveness factor in his dreams. Because Joseph had some things inflicted upon him by his brethren. And I am here to tell you the wounds that you get in life from your brethren are the easiest wounds to get infected. They are the hardest wounds to heal. They are the most difficult and complex Issues to deal with in your life and in my life. Because outside of the realm of the kingdom of God, we're accustomed to the world acting like heathens. 
We're accustomed to the cutthroat. Uh, we're accustomed to the backstabbing. We're accustomed to them living and doing uh, exactly like sinners do. But there's an entire different prism that we look through uh, when we try to analyze, uh, amen, those that are inside of the realm uh, of God's kingdom uh, and our very own brethren uh, and our sisters, uh, amen, that are in the church of the living God, uh, living for Him uh, and serving Him uh, and supposedly own the same team uh, that you and I are on. Uh, I am here to tell you, friend, uh, that there are wounds that came uh, unto Joseph uh, that Joseph struggled with uh, because they had done uh, irreparable damage unto him. Say, Brother White, I, I'm not sure I agree with all of that. You know, a lot of people have bought into the false concept. They make their own interpretation of the Scriptures. It said, well, it's because you're just not doing something right. Because if your ways were pleasing the Lord, even your enemies would be at peace with you. Now, if you're going to put that twist on the Scripture, show me one New Testament character that that interpretation applies to. Mm -hmm. Show me! What about Stephen's way was not pleasing to the Lord when the stones were flying his direction? Show me what about the Apostle Paul's life was not pleasing to the Lord when he was left for dead outside of Lystra. Show me what was wrong uh, with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, when they gnashed upon Him uh, and beat Him and spit upon Him uh, and took Him uh, to a rugged cross uh, and there they killed Him. Uh, I'm sorry to tell you, but there is no example in the New Testament uh, that you can point to uh, where anybody escaped uh, the Wounds of their own brethren. Anybody that stood for truth stood for what was right. Amen. You see, what happened is they had stolen his childhood from him. His brethren had taken him and done irreparable damage to him. Because once childhood is gone, you can't get it back. You can't go and recall and take it all back again. You know, I've looked at the story of Joseph, and I'm sure you have too. Joseph was a type of Christ, but there's no type that's a perfect type. So don't try to make him a perfect type. He not only had a signet ring on, but the Bible talks about a gold chain that was around his neck. So if you think he was a perfect type, you need to get you a different character somewhere in the Scripture. Joseph had some hang-ups. And one of them was nursing the grudges of what his brethren had done unto him. You say, how, how do you figure, Brother White? Well, 
Have you ever got out a map, studied the geography of Egypt in comparison to Palestine? Do you realize that permanent memory begins for most human beings somewhere about the age of five? I know, I've met them, Albert Einsteins, that that tell you they can recall exactly what happened when they were two and three years old. Uh, amen. I think you've heard that story repeated so much that you believe you remember what happened. But I, I won't fuss with you today, all of you brilliant folks that you even heard the snip when the doctor cut the cord. Uh, Amen. You've got it all down pat. You you know everything that happened. But for the rest of us dumbbells, it happens somewhere around age five. Permanent memory sets in. You can remember things that happened and took place. First grade class, second grade, third grade. But brother, by the time you get to the age that Joseph was. You're not a kid anymore. You know well the roads that lead to the city where you were raised in. You know the geography. You know the territory. You know where it's all at. My wife gets tickled at me sometime when on vacation, we'll go by Fairfield, California, where I spent a few years of my teenage years. And she gets to laughing at me. She said, you get to acting like a kid all over again when you get around Fairfield here. said, you get to doing things. And I want to take her up by the creek, you know, Pewter Creek, where we fish for trout. And I, I want to take her. And I, I can remember all that at 12 and 13 and 14 years old. And I, I still know where the juiciest cheeseburger place is and in the whole town. And I, I know where to go for the banana splits. Yeah, yeah, you do too. Uh, you remember all of that. Sure, there's nothing great uh, and tremendous about that. What are you saying, Brother White? Uh, I'm saying that Joseph didn't need the Internet uh, to do a worldwide search uh, to tell him how to find mom and dad. Joseph knew the territory. He knew the cities. He knew the roads in Egypt and which ones led to Palestine. He knew exactly, exactly where to go to get a hug from Mama one more time. He knew where to go to have Thanksgiving dinner with Daddy one more time. He knew exactly, and he had the chariots and the finest Egyptian steeds at his fingertip. Any moment, he could have called and said, Pharaoh, I need two or three days off. I got a little mission I want to do. A little bit of vacation time built up, and I'm just yearning and longing to go back and eat Mama's banana pudding one more time. I, I, I just need. You say, could he have done it that quick? You better believe he could have. 
If all of Israel, the old folks and the children walking together, could have made it in 13 days, you can't tell me that with the finest chariots of Egypt, he couldn't have in a couple of days' time been home eating at Mama's table and enjoying telling Dad, I'm not dead after all, Dad. Sorrow no more. I'm alive and God's hand is on me. God's blessing is on me. The favor of God is upon me. You'll never persuade me uh, that he wouldn't have in a skinny minute uh, jumped on the privilege uh, of doing that except for one thing. He knew that to have a reunion with Mama and Daddy, he'd have to deal with them brethren that wounded him. And it rained on his parade every time he thought about it. Every time the realization came that if I go home, i got to face them. And they were the ones that looked over the edge of that pit. And they were the ones that enjoyed the slow burn of me on the rotisserie. They were the ones that gloated in the pain that they caused to me. The suffering that came to my life. I think, I think, I can't quite face it yet. I think I can't quite deal with it yet. I think I'll wait a little longer. Sure, he had a child and named him forgetting. There's a whole lot of things you keep trying to forget about that you don't want to deal with, and you still keep having a hard time forgetting about it. whole lot of problems that came unto his life. And there was a wound that was so deep within him of the realization that it kept Joseph from ever making a trip, amen, to go with Mama and Daddy and enjoy the blessings of home once again. I'm telling you, friend, the wounds of your brethren can hurt in ways that no other wounds can hurt. Amen. Amen. They can hurt. They can hurt and hurt. Recently, amen, I was faced with a situation. I won't go into the details of it. But it was a wound that was caused by one of my brethren. A wound that... You know, it's just not one of those things to forget about because the consequences and the people in my church that are connected are affected by that. Matter of fact, this last Sunday I just had to deal with some more of it and the effects and the problems that are there. I was in prayer and I was telling God, God, how, how could anybody that claims to be a brother, inflict that kind of injury and pain and agony on somebody else. And the Lord led me, led me, amen, to Scriptures as I was wrestling with it that I had never looked at before, the book of Proverbs. 
where it talks about the things that lead up to adultery in a person's life. And I was amazed. It happened to me in prayer. Maybe you've seen it a thousand times before, but I'd never seen it before. I I read again the seventh chapter of the book of Proverbs uh, where it describes the steps to a moral failure, but it gets down to the end of the chapter and then it makes the statement uh, about the adulterous woman. that It said she has cast down many wounded. They were not wounded when they came after she, she was not the one that produced the wounds. They were already wounded when they walked by her corner on the street. And she reached out and she got a hold of them and managed to finish them off because they were already wounded when they got near unto her. I've never seen one marriage be destroyed without the husband first getting wounded at his wife. I've never been in divorce court once with anyone in my church without first the wife or one or the other getting wounded at the other. And because he's not treating me like I need to be treated, like I feel like I should deserve, I'm going to go out and find me a man and have a fling. A wounded spirit, my friend. A wounded spirit is what allows the entrance of moral failure to come into a person's life. It's a wounded spirit. Uh, I've seen pastors uh, that were strong holiness preachers. uh, And one day they fell into adultery. uh, And all of the gainsayers uh, run their mouth and say, See there, uh, that strong holiness stuff uh, is just a cover-up for immorality. uh, And I say, Oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. There was nothing wrong uh, with his holiness preaching. uh, No more than there was anything wrong with his one God preaching now. Or his Jesus name baptism preaching now. But what you don't understand uh, is he got a wounded spirit uh, somewhere in him. Somebody did irreparable damage. And he stumbled along the road one day. And the adulteress saw the wounded man coming by. She reached out. And she brought him in. And she destroyed him. Every preacher that's in this house knows as well as I do your brethren can wound you in unbelievable ways. Every saint in this place, let me preach it to you because it's a struggle you go through. I have saints in the church where I pastor that have come up to me and said, Brother White, uh, Brother White, uh, amen, let me tell you what's being told on you. Let me tell you uh, about this lie. And I heard it, uh, and it came uh, from down the road or around the corner or somewhere else. Uh, He said, I'm telling you, it made me so mad. It made me so angry uh, that anybody would dis 
say about our church or about our pastor or about what you do and you don't do. Said it hurts to hear that. Because I know you and I know what you teach and I know what you preach and I know the man of God that you are. And I've had to say, brother, we're going to have to pray for you to get over that. Because if you take up the offense and get a wounded spirit, you've opened the gate for immorality to come into your life. You can't do that. I can't do that. We've got to keep our spirit right, uh, our heart right. Uh, amen. There are undoubtedly people here that look at things that have happened in your life. Uh, amen. Where, where irreparable damage has been done. Uh, I'm not here to hurt you today, uh, but undoubtedly there are people here that were victims of child abuse uh, and victims of molestation uh, that has happened to you. Uh, and something inside your heart the minute it's mentioned uh, just stabs like a dagger uh, and said, oh God, no. Uh, that is, they stole something from me that can never be replaced. They stole something from me. I stood last year at this exact time. A man had a funeral. I preached of an elderly 78-year-old man in our church. A man that I didn't know till several years of being his pastor. Of the way he had tried to run from his past. Off in a Midwestern state. How he had a totally different family back there. But he had been guilty of molesting several of his own daughters. And now, it was time to do his funeral. It was time to bury him. And two of those daughters that he had molested learned of it and came out to the funeral. Ask me, one of them, me and my sister, could we have a word to say at the funeral? And of course, I feared a big problem, big blow up. I said, it'll probably be better if at the gravesite I'll give opportunity for anyone that like to give a testimonial. And if you want to say something, then we'll, we'll give time there. Out at the gravesite, I gave the opportunity. And the one sister stood up beside the grave of her dad. Casket there, just fixing to be lowered down. She said, I... My sister are just here today because we want to let this whole church family know that we have forgiven our dad of all of the wrong that he did to us as children. I started crying, sobbing. I looked at them. I thought they've never had the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Claimed to be tongue-talking, Holy Ghost-filled children of God that are rapture-ready. 
claim that everything's right in their heart uh, and they can't forgive other wrongs uh, that have been done unto them in life. Uh, I'm telling you, it's a frightful thing uh, to think about standing before an almighty God uh, who said the only way I forgive you uh, of your trespasses uh, is if you will forgive them that have trespassed against you. The only way. Surprisingly, one day, a caravan drove up into Joseph's world. He looked out and saw. Coming out of the caravan, his worst nightmare. No dad, no mom. Just the brethren that had wounded him beyond words. They came because there was a terrible famine in the land. Hunger back there. Like a cat playing with a mouse. Catching him and then letting him go again. and Catching him again. Joseph started playing games with his brother. He wanted them to hurt. Like they had made him hurt. You know the story, money back inside the sack. The torment of being caught and realizing that our money looks like we've stolen this grain. Another trip and a cup being put inside of the sack. And Joseph with his Pharaoh garb on, looking at him, asking him interrogating questions. Watching him squirm and sweat. Watching him go through it all. Until he asks the one all-telling question. In Genesis 44 and 20, one of his brethren looked back at him and told him of his brother that he alone is left of his mother. The realization came to Joseph that while I have been playing this little game, the moon has died out in my dream. God gave me a dream that the sun and the moon And eleven stars are going to come back and bow down. And the moon has just died out. My mama is dead. Let me tell you, friend, when God gives you a dream, you can mess it up. You hear me? You can't blame it on the devil. You can't blame it on circumstances. You can't blame it on anything else but his own spirit of unforgiveness over the wounds that they had caused. And now Joseph realized that if I keep this junk up, the sun might die out too. And my old aged dad 
might pass away also. And then all I'm stuck with is the eleven brothers that I didn't care anything about anyway. Joseph asked all of them to go from the room. And in his pain and anguish, after learning that Mama was dead, he sobbed and he cried so loud. And he went back out to his brethren. Pulled off his mask. Pulled off his guard. And he said, I am Joseph. That was a forgiveness factor. That was a part of his dream. Just like there is your dreams and my dreams. Am I the only one in this building today that has at least one dream that God's given to you that has yet to be fulfilled in your life? Say, anybody else can lift their hand up and say, Brother White, me too. Me too, Brother White. Me too. God has given me some dreams of what He was going to do in my life and through me that have yet to be I beg of you, Joseph, don't wait till the moon dies out before you finally make the decision that you can forgive somebody that has trespassed against you. The dream is what ought to be most important in your life. Stand with me. Lift your hands unto the Lord. Lift your hands unto God. Oh, 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 God. Help us. Help us, Lord. 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 Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. The Almighty God has got an apostolic church that's in the earth today. That is the apple of His eye. A God that wants to fulfill through you and I every dream that He's ever given us to accomplish in this last hour great exploits for the cause and the kingdom of God. There's only one thing He's waiting on, Joseph. Only one thing He's waiting on, Joseph. How long is it going to take you to wash the pain of those wounds out of your life and cleanse and forgive from your heart whatever wrongs have ever been done to you? I know the hour's late. Would you be willing to give just five minutes of time 
to bow at an altar. Say, God, I just want to make sure that there's no unforgiveness in my heart. It's messing with a dream that you've given to me. I just got to be sure, God. I just got to be sure that I cleanse it all out. I don't want the moon to die out in my dream. While I still struggle with wounds inflicted from my brethren. Come and pray. Come and seek Him. Say, lead us in a song of praise. Oh, God. Oh, God. Come on, Joseph. There's a chariot waiting for you, brother. Come on, Joseph. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another day. Get it out of your heart. Bury it under the blood of Jesus Christ. And see God fulfill your dreams. Oh, God. A clean, a clean heart. Bitter and sweet water. This can't come out of the same fountain. Oh, God. No, they don't deserve your forgiveness, Joseph. No. No. But you got a dream. God gave the dream. Don't mess it up. Don't mess it up, Joseph. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Forgiveness factor in all of our dreams. Oh, God. Got to see those dreams. Got to see them fulfilled with my children. Got to see them fulfilled. Give me a clean heart. A clean heart. Oh, God. Come on. Come on. Wash it on out. Wash it on out. Wash it on out. I'm not happy. The dream is all that really matters. Fulfilling the dream means more to me than holding on to the grudge. Oh, God. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. That high Oh God. Might know my name. But if you give me a clean heart, a clean heart, so that 